This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Welcome to another edition of the TSN MMA Show. I'm your host, Aaron Bronstetter, and we have a lot to get to because summer, at least in terms of the summer schedule for the UFC and other mixed martial arts promotions, is about to kick off. And uh, we've got a big heavyweight main event this weekend, Jairzinho Rosenstreich taking on the one and only Alexander Volkov. It's going to be a, a fun one. But before we get into that, let's talk a little bit more about last week's subject matter. And I know that everybody's getting hit over the head with uh, the judging discussion. And it seems like with an event coming up, that's starting to dissipate a little bit, which is great. You know, of course, up until the next judging controversy, which could be this weekend, could be, could be whenever. Who knows? But last week I did my monologue that opens up this show on a weekly basis, starting last week, on the situation with uh, the Holly Holm fight against Ketlin Vieira and kind of the fallout from that. And we're going to take another step in that conversation and evolve it a little bit more by discussing about the different mechanisms of how fights are scored in MMA, namely the 10-point must system, which I think is not really conducive to how mixed martial arts should be scored. You've got a boxing system, 6 rounds, 9 rounds, 12 rounds, 10 rounds, all kinds of different outcomes that you could have in terms of boxing. A 10-point must system makes sense in those parameters, but for 3 rounds, it's really hard to pick, uh, let's say, the rightful winner of a fight. So what I did for this particular monologue is I talked about some different ways that Scoring can evolve in the sport, how they could potentially change or be modified to make things a little bit more of a level playing field or perhaps give judges a little bit more options to choose from in terms of how they score rounds. So let's get into that right now. Here is this week's monologue. Last week I spoke about Holly Holm versus Ketlin Vieira and the controversy that swirled around how the fight was scored. As I mentioned, I think that the way to prevent more robberies is education. I think that's paramount, is understanding the scoring criteria. But that doesn't necessarily mean that a 10-point must system fits into the sport of mixed martial arts or that other mechanisms of scoring shouldn't be explored. And that's what we're going to do today when we look at open scoring, the half-point system, as well as pride scoring. Now, with the 10-point must system, we have a scoring system that was designed for 6, 9, or 12-round boxing matches. And as we have seen in some big fights recently, not all 10-9 rounds are created equal which is why some of these decisions end up feeling controversial. This week, we're going to examine three different revisions that have made the rounds and apply them to the five-round bantamweight title fight between Aljamain Sterling and Piotr Jan. The rematch was ultimately won by Sterling. Number one is open scoring, which my colleague Ariel Hawani has been trumpeting for some time, which means that at the end of each round, the score would be made public. We know the score at all times in baseball, football, and, well, most major sports, so why not mix martial arts? Let's look at some of the pros and cons of open scoring. The big pro, of course, is that the fighters will know where they stand. Wouldn't you like to know if you were a fighter entering the third round that you're down, the fight's even, you're up? These are things that could happen if you had open scoring. Is It flashes on a screen, this is the score going into the final round. So instead of being unaware of how a judge is scoring a fight until the decision is announced, coaches and athletes themselves could make adjustments accordingly. Here are some of the cons. It could take focus away from the judges based on in-venue reaction. Let's say it's a home crowd, 
they don't like the way that the judges have scored the round, it could really get in the judge's head if a score flashes on the screen and they're heckled by some of the fans. Maybe even garbage is thrown at them. Who knows? It negatively impacts the home viewer's experience and maybe even the live viewer's experience. One of the big aspects of combat sports is suspense. Waiting to hear the decision. You're on the edge of your seat. You want to know who won. Why not wait until the end of the fight to find that out? And while, from a fighter standpoint, they don't really care about that, they'd rather know where they stand, from a promotional standpoint, and from a television standpoint, it does negatively impact the viewer's experience. And number three, fighters will get flack for not going out on their shield. We know that mixed martial arts fans aren't exactly the most polite bunch. They like to go into the DMs of fighters, send them messages on social media, for whatever reason. This is not going to help. If a fighter is down going into the third round and they don't do everything in their power to win that fight, they're going to get chirped on social media more than they already do. And I don't like that from a fighter's standpoint. Let's look at it from the standpoint of Sterling versus Jan 2. Sterling was up 39-37, 39-37, and one judge had a 38-38 heading into the final round. Jan would have had to go for a finish or a 10-8 round to secure either the win or the draw. But here's the thing. Sterling emphatically won rounds 2 and 3. I think those were the two slam dunks of this particular fight. So, if you're Jan or you're Sterling, you have to know that for Jan, the best case scenario is a 38-38 scorecard, and for Sterling, the worst case scenario is a 38-38 scorecard, if you're in the corners of those two fighters. So, would open scoring change anything? Possibly not. Number two is pride scoring. Now, if you're not familiar with Pride FC, jump on UFC Fight Pass. You might learn a thing or two about the history of mixed martial arts. In Pride FC, fights were judged as a whole, with a winner being chosen based on the body of work shown over the duration of the fight. One championship currently uses a very similar scoring system. Here are some of the pros. The fighters are scored based on their overall performance, not on a round-by-round basis. No numbers involved, so it's much cleaner. You just say, this guy won, or this guy lost. And finally, people aren't going to get hung up on how rounds are scored individually. They're not going to look at scorecards and say, how did they score this round for this athlete, or that round for that athlete? None of that is in the equation. Here are some of the cons. It still requires a scoring criteria, which people seem to be disinterested in learning anything about. And lastly, the judges aren't able to show their work. It's a lot more data to assess for a judge over the duration of a fight, to remember every little thing that happened over the course of a three or five round fight. That's why the current scoring system compartmentalizes it into scoring rounds. Looking at Jan versus Sterling, I feel that judges would have awarded the fight to Sterling because he had prolonged durations of dominance during that second round. I think that in the overall scope of the fight, that would probably weigh more heavily on the judges. Would people have been satisfied with that outcome? Hey, it's the same outcome that they already have, just a different road to get there. And finally, we have the half-point system. I've long been a proponent of the half-point system that brings decimals into the equation when scoring fights. Let's lay out exactly how this would look. A 10 to 9.5 round would be if the secondary or tertiary criteria is utilized, which it rarely is. That's a 10 to 9.5 round. If a judge is on the fence about who won a round, that's a 10 to 9.5 round. Or if someone wins a round but doesn't do a requisite amount of damage that would be added to the language of the criteria, also a 10 to 9.5 round. A 10-9 round would stay as it is now, a round clearly won by one of the two fighters. A 10 to 8.5 round would be a round where a fighter wins a round decidedly, perhaps with domination and duration, but not enough damage, or by winning a round while also doing a good amount of damage, but perhaps not having the duration or domination that would constitute a 10-8 round. If a judge is on the fence between a 10-9 and 10-8, they can fall back on this. And lastly, a 10-8 round would stay as it is now, and a 10 to 7.5 or 10-7 round would be assessed as necessary on an infrequent basis. Some of the pros of a half-point scoring system, it removes a lot of the gray in the scoring criteria. Not all 10-9 rounds are created equal, as in this example with Jan and Sterling, you look at the first round, 
being a very, very close round, and the second round being a blowout on the Sterling side. It'll give the referees a little bit more leeway to penalize fighters because taking a full point away in a 10-point must system over the course of three rounds can be devastating to a fighter's prospects to win the fight, but a half point doesn't quite take them out of the fight. And lastly, it allows judges more range in their scores. It gives them a little bit more to play with when it comes to wow, that was a really close round, that's a 10 to 9.5, or ooh, this could have been a 10-8 round, let's make it a 10 to 8.5, because he didn't quite do enough to get to a 10-8. Here's some of the cons of a half-point system. Decimal scores don't look or sound as clean. If Bruce Buffer comes out after a fight and says, this fighter won 47.5 to 47, it doesn't sound quite as clean as having a nice round number. It makes uniformity among judges more difficult. If they have more outcomes that they can score, rather than just 10-9 and 10-8, you now have four viable outcomes of a round versus two viable outcomes of a round. So if you're going to look at judges' scorecards, they're going to be more all over the place than they already are. And lastly, this might sound weird, but it's more math. Now, let me give you an example. Ten years ago, when Demetrius Johnson faced Ian McCall in Australia, they announced Johnson as the winner by majority decision. Then they looked at the scorecards later on in the night, and they realized that the scores were tallied incorrectly. The fight should have been announced as a majority draw, and in this strange instance where it was a tournament, would have resulted in a fourth deciding round. But the Athletic Commission couldn't do simple math, and it cost us an extra round of two great flyweight fighters competing. So if you bring decimals into it, you can only imagine that this is ripe for error. Based on this system, Sterling versus Jan 2 is scored as followed. The first round, very close. For the purpose of this exercise, we're going to take the current scorecard and change the round to 10 to 9.5 rounds. Round 2, I imagine a lot of the judges were tinkering with a 10-8 round here. This was a really dominant round, and again, a perfect example of why 10-9 rounds aren't created equal. You look at the first round, where you have one judge scoring it for Jan, two judges scoring it for Sterling, very, very close round. And then the second round, which was a really dominant round for Sterling, but perhaps they didn't see enough damage to make it a full 10-8. In this case, you have the 10 to 8.5 round to play with. We're going to put this as a 10 to 8.5 round for Sterling. Round three, another fairly dominant round for Sterling, but really not enough damage to give it a 10-8. Let's keep this a 10-9 for Sterling. And then you look at rounds four and five, 10 nines for Jan, not close rounds, decided winner in Jan in those rounds. We're going to keep those as 10 nines. So when we tally up these rounds, we have very similar scores to the previous fight. However, in this case, rather than it being a split decision, it ends up being a majority decision for Aljamain Sterling, who wins the fight 48-47, 48-47, and then 47.5 to 47.5 draw. Now, while I think the best antidote right now for eliminating the perception of robberies or bad judging is simply reading the scoring criteria and becoming more familiar with it, I do think it's important to look at how fights are scored, gauging the 10-9 must system and how a boxing system largely fits into mixed martial arts. This was a food for thought exercise, taking a look at some of these other ways of scoring fights and determining whether there's something better out there. This video isn't to say that what we have now doesn't work, because largely it does, but it's to make you consider some other possibilities for how fights can be scored or some modifications in the future. I'm Aaron Bronstetter, and this was the monologue about perhaps having a dialogue in regards to how fights are scored. All right, there you have it, the monologue for this week. Appreciate you checking those out on social media when I post them. And if you haven't, of course, you can just listen to them here. You don't need to watch the video, although I do put a lot of work into the video. It takes me about you know, probably a whole day to put together when it comes to recording my own things, creating graphics, all that. But at the end of the day, I just hope that they are educational and give you a new perspective in terms of mixed martial arts. And hopefully I won't have to do one on judging for some time.
although it has become something I've been fairly passionate about in probably the last year. So when that is a hot discussion, if there is something I can add to that conversation, I will do that. And as for those particular options, you got open scoring, pride scoring, and the half-point system. I've long been a proponent of the half-point system. I think the half-point system is the way to do it. But, you know, as I laid out in the cons, it is a little bit clunky. There is more math involved. These are things that can create headaches for commissions, for the promotions, for the fighters, for everybody. So how you can change it, I don't know. But I do think that the difference between two different 10-9 rounds can be such a chasm. And the reason why I chose Jan versus Sterling for the fight to analyze under those particular auspices is because you look at the first round of Jan versus Sterling and the second round of Jan versus Sterling, and they're two completely different rounds in terms of how they should be scored. But they're both 10-9 rounds. Like, you got one that's a totally dominant round for one fighter, one-way traffic. For whatever reason, the judges didn't give it a 10-8. Personally, I think they could have, maybe should have. But you look at that round versus the first round, they're both scored the same way. So let's say you have a fight like that, where it's a three-round fight instead of a five-round fight. And the first round, 10-9, very close fight, very, very close fight. Although two of the judges did score that for Sterling. But again, had they scored them for Jan, I think that would have been totally fair. Then you have a round like the second round was with such a lopsided 10-9. And then in the third round, the other fighter squeaks one out. You got one super dominant round and then two very close rounds. And the fighter that had that one really dominant round basically loses the fight. If they, of course, decide to score it that way. But you know what I mean. These rounds should not be scored the same. That should not be a 10-9 round if the, the first round is also a 10-9 round. It's just not the way it should be. So that's why I like the half-point system. But let's move on to this particular weekend's card because I think it's a, a really strong way for the UFC to come back. You know, it's not a pay-per-view, but there are a lot of really good sneaky fights on this particular card that uh, we can get into. So we'll get into that. But before we do want to say look at this MMA schedule coming up Whew. even if you're just looking at the UFC which we're not going to do right now but we'll take a look at the major promotions but you got Volkov versus Rosenstroik to open up the month of June on Saturday next week you've got the road to the UFC tournament so a lot of the top Asian fighters no I think this is kind of slipping under the radar honestly but I can't wait to watch this a lot of the top Asian fighters are going to be in a tournament in Singapore at Singapore Indoor Stadium, which is where UFC 275 will be taking place. And they're going to be competing for a spot in on the roster. I think there's three, maybe four different weight classes that are competing. I can't remember off the top of my head. But yeah, it's uh, an exciting way to start the month because we're going to have so much MMA. But you got that tournament. And then, of course, on Saturday, you've got UFC 275, which is still going to take place at the same time as the pay-per-views usually do. Uh, it'll, I believe, be morning in Singapore, but it'll start at 6 p.m. Eastern Time in terms of the very first fight, and the pay-per-view will start at 10 p.m. Eastern Time for UFC 275. Then the following week, the PFL's back. From Atlanta, Georgia, you've got the heavyweights and light heavyweights, or sorry, the lightweights and light heavyweights competing on June the 17th. And then the following day, you've got Cater versus Emmett. Now, that is a main event that I'm looking forward to. That's a great fight. Cater versus Emmett headlining a card that's not taking place at the Apex, but in Austin, Texas on June the 18th. Man, I wish the pay-per-view was in Austin instead of, the, uh, instead of in Dallas, but 
be that as it may. Not that I have anything against Dallas. I've just always wanted to go to, to Austin. I actually like Dallas quite a bit. And then you go to the, the week after that, you got PFL returning with featherweights and heavyweights. And I believe the Anthony Pettis fight is also on that card, if I'm not mistaken. Taking on Stevie Ray. And that same night, you've got the Bellator middleweight title on the line with Musasi taking on Johnny Eblen. And you've also got some big bantamweight tournament fights. You've got Danny Sabatello against Leandro Rigo. You've got Magomed, Magomed, uh, Magomed Magomedov against uh, Enrique Barzola. You've got Alexander Shabley and Brent Primus on the card. You've got Kat Zingano fighting against Pam Sorensen. Zaba Homasi is on the under, undercard. Dan Moret on the undercard. Undefeated Cody Law on the undercard. The Bellator debut of Canadian Aaron Jeffrey. Mandel Nalo, another Canadian. That's a really, really stacked Bellator card from top to bottom, honestly. So that card is on the 24th, which is the Friday. And then the next day after that, you got Sarukian versus Mateusz Gamrot. Another great main event. If you're not familiar with those two fighters... You should get familiar with those two fighters. Because that is a, that's a banger of a fight with stakes in the lightweight division. Every fight in the lightweight division has pretty big stakes these days, it seems, especially among ranked fighters. But uh, that's a really good card. And if I recall, there's a really good Comey in that, in that card as well. I don't have it in front of me. And uh, the ESPN lineup does not have it updated. But then the week after, it's Sarukian and Gamrot. Now we've got PFL, welterweights, and women's lightweights. And then the night after that, it's the pay-per-view. International Fight Week is that entire week. UFC 276, Adesanya versus Cannoneer. Adesanya versus Cannoneer, I should say. And uh, that card also has Volkanovski versus Holloway on it. Alex Pereira versus Sean Strickland. Misha Tate's flyweight debut. Sean O'Malley against Munoz. That's a great main card. Not to mention uh, Barbarena and Lawler also on that card, among other things. Another solid, solid card there for uh, International Fight Week. And then the, the train keeps rolling after that. Dos Anjos versus Fiziev the week after. Ortega versus Rodriguez from Long Island on the 16th. That fight might be on ABC, is the rumor, on July 16th. And then you got Blades versus Aspinall on the 23rd from London, England. And then on the Tuesday after that fight, the Contender Series starts. The same week as 277, Pena versus Nunez too. So, and then the week after that, the PFL playoff starts. I mean, it's just, it's never ending. From now until September. And September 3rd, you're going to have that fight night in Paris also. Like, oh man, it's just a big event after big event, fun card after fun card. This summer is going to be stacked in terms of uh, great mixed martial arts content. Hope I have time to spend with my family in the summer. That would be nice. But I don't think that there's another week off for quite a quite a while. It might not even be till September. Not to mention, if there is one, you're still going to have Contender Series and PFL and all these other things. So the summer is going to be hot in terms of MMA content. And pun was very much intended when I say that. So that's a, just a look ahead for all the, the big events coming up. Like This might be the best quarter that the UFC has on the calendar right now is uh, basically from... Now until the end of uh, August. And then, of course, it's still going to roll into September. Who knows what's going to happen then? But a stacked schedule for the UFC. Um, I also for, uh, forgot that I think Bell- no, Bellator doesn't have anything else scheduled until se- 
Oh, actually, I guess they must be Bellator 283 and 284 in the summer, but uh, they're not here on the schedule, the ESPN schedule that I'm looking at right now. So just a lot of stuff coming up. Let's just put it that way. A lot of stuff coming up. And good stuff. So let's get into the good stuff this weekend's card. Seems like an eternity ago that we had a UFC event and it was only two weeks ago. Doesn't that Holly and Ketlin Vieira thing seem like such a distant memory at this point in time? Like all the controversy, all the talk. It seems like it's just completely dissipated. But here we are. We got a, a nice card coming up this weekend. If you're in Canada, unfortunately, we will not be carrying this event on TSN as it is an off-prime event and most off-prime events are on Fight Pass exclusively in Canada. So if you're looking for it on TSN, you will be looking in the wrong spot. Keep your eyes posted. Or sorry, keep your eyes on uh, on uh, Fight Pass for that particular bout. All right, let's look at the main event. Volkov, Rosenstrike. Great, great main event in terms of the heavyweight division. We've got Volkov a minus one seventy two favorite, according to our friends at FanDuel Canada. The comeback on Jarzinho Rosenstrike plus one thirty four. I think this is lined properly. I think Rosenstroik really kind of only has a puncher's chance here. And I mean, that's what a lot of fighters have against Volkov, with the exception of like the Cyril Gans of the world, Aspinall, the guys that, that are mostly stand-up fighters. I think that that's... Rosenstroik's really only shot of winning this, in my opinion, is by KO. The plus 200, uh, plus 200 to win by KO, according to FanDuel. But yeah, I think this fight goes to a decision. And I think that... Uh, the fight starts round four at minus 112 is something that I'm definitely going to be taking a look at for this particular fight. I think Volkov by decision is something else I'm going to look at. It's FanDuel actually has a good price on it right now at plus 260. Everywhere else it's, on, it's a much worse price. So solid price uh, for the Volkov decision at plus 260. But I like, I like the Volkov side here. I think Volkov wins by decision in this fight. You can also look at some of the late round props, the Volkov round five, Volkov round four, but I think honestly it goes the distance. Rosenstroik, aside from Nganu, has anybody put Rosenstroik away? I don't think so. I'm going to look it up now, but I, I don't think that anybody aside from Nganu has put him away. He's got three losses. Decision, Curtis Blades, which is hard to do. It's hard to get a, get a full fight in there with Curtis Blades. It was a three-round fight, but... And he, he landed that big knee, I remember, in that fight too, but... Loses a unanimous decision to him. Loses a unanimous decision to Cyril Gaon. That was uh, back in February of 2021. And, of course, his lone knockout loss was to Francis Ngannou in 20 seconds in May of 2020. Lots of 20s there. Now he's back in the in the uh, octagon. First time since September. Against Volkov. And Volkov coming off that, that loss to Tom Aspinall. He is three and two in his last five, or three and three in his last six, if you want to look at it. But the losses came to Aspinall, Gone, and Blades wins over Harris, Overeem, and Marcin Taibura. So he's beating the guys that he's supposed to beat. Now I think that Rosenstroik is one of those guys, to be perfectly honest. And uh, that's not to take anything away from Rosenstroik, who I think is a great fighter, and uh, he very well could prove me wrong. I thought that Volkov against Aspinall, but I, I thought that I was getting a great price on Volkov against Aspinall. I just hadn't seen enough out of Aspinall to think that he was going to be able to 
handle going deep against Volkov, but he ended up taking him down, getting that straight armbar, and getting a win in the first round. So he proved me wrong, that's for sure. And I don't mind when these fighters prove me wrong. I make my selections, they're based on something, and that's the way it goes. All right, let's look at the co-main event. We got Dan Ige taking on Movsar Evloev. That's a, a really solid fight. I can't believe how big of an underdog Dan Ige is here. Minus 440 for Evloev, plus 310 for Ige. Whew! That is a, a big line, but I would, I would have to take Ige at that price. I mean, the value is entirely on him there. If you look at Evloev, 15-0, has not lost. But the level of competition, I mean, you're comparing apples to oranges here. The toughest matchup that Evlo have had was Dawadu, and Dawadu really put it on him in the third round there. He had a split decision winning against Nick Lentz. I don't remember that fight. If I recall, that shouldn't have been a split decision, but I don't really know off the top of my head. So here are his wins, basically. Sung Wu Choi, who I don't think is in the UFC anymore. Is Sung Wu Choi in the UFC? Yeah, I guess. Sorry, he just lost to Alex Casera, so he might still be in the UFC. Enrique Barzola, who's doing very good things uh, over on the Bellator side. Mike Grundy, who recently got released from the UFC. Nick Lentz, who's now retired. And Hakeem Dawadu, who uh, I think that's a, a great win and the best win by far for Evloev. But uh, Dan Ige, if you look at his level of competition here, I mean, you're just comparing apples to oranges. Ige's... Listen, he's 1-3 in his last four, but... Those losses come to Josh Emmett, who's, one, I think, top five. Korean Zombie, who, if he's not top five, he's near the top five. And Calvin Cater, who's also, I believe, top five. I'll have to pull up the rankings, but, I mean, you're talking about three losses to top five guys. And then outside of that, you got Gavin Tucker, Edson Barboza, Mirsad Bektik, Kevin Aguilar, who's no longer in the UFC, Danny Henry, who I don't believe is in the UFC either, Jordan Griffin, also not in the UFC, Mike Santiago, also not in the UFC. And his uh, first loss was to... Julio Arce, but again, this is like four, four plus years ago. So, like, where do you put Evloev if you're comparing him to a guy like a Bektik or to uh, an Edson Barboza? He's probably around that level. And even the, you know, Gavin Tucker, I think Evloev is, uh, you know, superior to him. But, I mean, you're talking about massive odds here. Minus 440. Whew. Ige by KO is plus 950. Like, you might just take that. Because... If it goes to a decision, I don't know if, if that's Ige's best path, but I might take I might sprinkle on the Ige by decision at plus plus nine fifty. That's a crazy number. Cause that's how he wins this fight, I think, is you, you wear Evloev down and you find a way to, to KO him. And how many if you look at Dan Ige, how many KO wins he's got four KO wins on his on his record, two of which came in the UFC. If it does go to a decision, I think Ige would have a chance, but I mean to get Ige by that at that price for KO. Yeah, I gotta I gotta take a, a long look at that one for sure. Karine Silva taking on Pollyanna Botelio, but I think that there's another fight. I think I'm looking at the lineup wrong. You got Mike Trezano against Lucas Almeida. So I don't know too much about Lucas Almeida, and I thought that Trezano. Uh, Looked good against Dawudu, but I think that was just a really bad matchup for Trezano. Lucas Almeida is 13-1. This is his UFC debut. He actually lost to Daniel Zellhuber on the Contender Series last year. And now he's getting a shot in the UFC. 
Trezano, I imagine, is a heavy favorite here, as he is minus 265, Almeida plus 200. I would have to lean Trezano here. I think Trezano is uh, probably a pretty safe parlay piece if you're going to uh, make a decision on that one. Moving down the line, the uh, aforementioned Carine Silva against Pollyanna Botelho. An interesting matchup there. Um, but I, I don't remember Botelho fighting anytime recently. I'm going to have to look. I think she's taken some time off. Her last fight, Botelho's, was, yeah, more than a year ago. She lost to Luana Carolina. She's actually on back-to-back losses to uh, Jillian Robertson and Luana Carolina. And Carine Silva was a contender series winner. So uh, interesting matchup here. The line on this one is Silva minus 128, Botelho plus 100. And I think based on the recent track records, that probably is the, the correct favorite. But I uh, I have no particular take on this fight. Alonzo Menafield taking on Askar Mosharov, who's taking, making his UFC debut as well. Menafield, he's, uh, he's, when he's on, he's on. He's 11-3. and three. Right now, coming off a loss to William Knight, I thought a lot of people thought that was a controversial loss, but I thought that uh, the way that Knight came out swinging in that third round, I thought that he deserved the win there based on the criteria. But he's won uh, two of his last three, and then you look at Masharov, who's 21 and 11, but only 27 years old. So I mean, he's he's got a lot of uh, miles on him for someone that age. He's on a three-fight winning streak right now as well. Menafield is the favorite, and he probably should be. But I, I again, I don't know much about Masharov, so I, I can't give you a a really strong take on this one. Damon Jackson against Dan Argueta. Now that's this is one I can give you a take on because I think that uh, I like the Jackson by submission line at even money. I think that if that's the way that he's going to win this fight, Argueta, if I recall, is a bantamweight. He fought a couple weeks ago for LFA and won, and I think that that's why he. Is he's taking a featherweight fight is because it's on short notice for him. Yeah, he's a bantamweight. He's actually not a very big bantamweight either. But uh, he's going to be taking... He just won a split decision against Diego Silva in a five-round fight. And that was May the 6th. So, so less than a month prior to this fight, he's going to have fought five rounds. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why Damon Jackson is a minus 520 favorite here, but I, I think you got to look at the subprop for Jackson at plus 100. And the Jackson knockout prop at plus 950 isn't terrible either, but uh, I know Jackson, I was listening to interviews with Jackson today because, I mean, I'm speaking with him tomorrow, but uh, he just loves getting submissions. He was talking about how he just, submissions, that's that's his jam. That's what he likes to do. When was the last time he had a, like a, I guess his last knockout was in the main event of LFA 47. Now, now that's four nearly four years ago so since then he lost in 10 seconds to Movlil Haibulayev wow I don't even remember him fighting in the PFL I was just there for a cup of coffee I guess but since that loss he's four and one lone loss coming to Ilya Tapuria and I know he's uh, he's desperate to uh, get into the rankings but he keeps having these fights drop out on him at the zero hour his opponent Minner, Derek Minner, dropped off like last week or something. So he's got a brand new opponent in uh, Dan Argueta, who's undefeated. He did lose on the Contender Series to Ricky Tercios, but that is considered an exhibition. So that's that one. And you've got Carolina Kovalkiewicz and Felice Herrick both coming back. Neither have fought in some time. The last time that Carolina 
competed. She's currently on a five-fight losing streak, but her last time competing was August of 2021. So, so she's actually only had less. She's had less than a year layoff. I forgot about that. Um, but Herrig uh, has had a long layoff. She has not fought since August of 2020, so nearly two years off, and she is on a three-fight losing streak. So a combined eight-fight losing streak among them. And we have Carolina as an underdog. Police minus 136. Carolina Kovalkiewicz plus 108. I might lean Kovalkiewicz in this one, honestly. I think this is probably a dog or pass. Because if you look at their track records, I, you just look at who's had the better wins, and it's Kovalkiewicz. But this is her five-fight losing streak. And Draj, who went on to become champion after that. Michelle Watterson, who's been a perennial top 10 in the strawweight division. Alexa Grasso, we see how good she's been since moving out to the flyweight division. Yan Xiaonan, who, again, is, I believe, top 5 or top 7 in that division. And Jessica Panay, which is probably one that you would have thought that she should have won. She was a slight favorite in that one. Uh, got armbarred in the first round. If I recall, I actually called Panay by submission there. as my dart throw. It was like plus 750 or something along those lines. Um... And then you look at the losing streak that Felice Herrig is on. She was on a four-fight winning streak, including a win over Alexa Grasso and uh, the likes of Courtney Kenny or Courtney Casey, rather. Um, and she has lost three in a row. Carolina Kovalkiewicz. So this is a rematch. Um, that was back in 2018. So we're talking four four plus years ago. Michelle Watterson and uh, Virna Jandijoba, who beat her in 2020. So she actually has that loss to Kovalkiewicz. And that's actually the last time Kovalkiewicz won a fight was against uh, Felice Herrick. So that's kind of why I think it's a dog or pass situation here. But at the same time, I, you know, with this kind of volatility, you might want to just stay away altogether. Ode Osborne is taking on Zaruk Adashev. Uh, Ode Osborne is a minus 200 favorite. Uh, Adashev is plus 152. I'm interested to see what FanDuel has for uh, fight ends in a KO, because uh, I think that's how this one ends. Osborne by KO is plus 300. Adashev by KO is plus 500. So we'll see. But I think that's how this one ends. Uh, fight doesn't go to a decision is minus 110. I'll probably take a look at that for sure when I make my TSN edge picks. Benoit Saint-Denis is back in action. Minus 170 against Nicolas Stolze, who's plus 132. It's incredible to me that Saint Denis is a, a minus 170 favorite after that absolute beating he took at the hands of Zaleski Dos Santos. If I'm Stoltze, I'm insulted by this. I'm looking at this and saying, "Really, this is this is uh, how you guys view me?" Now he's lost two in a row. He lost to uh, Jared Gooden. He got knocked out by Jared Gooden and uh, Ramazan Emiev in back in 2020, two years ago. And then you look at Benoit Saint Denis. He was actually undefeated up until that loss to Zaleski Dos Santos. So this is pretty solid wins, actually, too, on the uh, on, in Brave. So, um, interesting. I, I'm interested to see how he bounces back, because that was just such a lopsided loss. Uh, Tony Gravely is minus 136. Johnny Munoz is plus 108. Um, a little bit interested in this one, because you look at... Uh, although I'm not seeing this one on Tapology, so maybe we'll skip over this one. I don't know if that one's... Th- oh, no, here it is. Sorry, Johnny Munoz... Taking on uh, Gravely. I might lean Gravely in this one. I think that Gravely, uh, even though Munoz, I think, looked good in his last fight, I think that Gravely is very undervalued here at minus 136. Uh, You know, Gravely is... I mean, it might be a little... 
Actually, they both lost to Nate Manus, so um, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So we'll see, but, uh, you know, Gravely is one of these guys where if he shows up and he's on, he can beat just about anybody on any given night. I like him here at minus 136. That might end up being one of my uh, one of my TSN Edge recommended plays. And we move along. Jeff Molina, one of my favorite fighters to watch in the UFC, taking on Zhalgis Zhumagulov. Molina, a minus 200 favorite. Um, I will probably take a look at the Molina by KO prop at plus 460. Or maybe even the Molina round three prop at plus 1400. That might be something that I look at as well if you're looking for some long shot action. Jeff Molina is one of these guys that just seems to finish, finish fighters down the stretch. He wears them out and beats them. Najum Gulov has only lost inside the distance twice. One was in 2015, so we're talking seven years ago. And the other was against Manel Kopp in his last fight, round one, KO. So a uh, pretty durable guy, but we'll see if uh, Molina, I know that's his game plan, is kind of tire him out down the stretch. Last two fights on the card, Andreas Mikhailidis taking on Renat Fakhredinov from Russia. He's 20-2. and two. Just looking at his picture on topology, he looks like somebody you don't want to mess with. Won his last fight against the UFC veteran, Eric Spicely. So kudos to him on that. He's on a long winning streak. And he is a minus 320 favorite. When's the last time Mikhail just won a fight? It seems like they, they put him out there to... Oh, I guess he beat KB Buller. So he's 1-2 and two in the UFC. So his loss was to uh, Modestus Bukowskis, KB Buller, and Alex Pereira. I feel like he had more fights than that in the UFC, but... Uh, Pretty sizable underdog here at plus 235. Uh, I will be staying away from this one. But Aaron Blanchfield, minus 620 against uh, J.J. Eldridge, taking the fight on short notice at plus 400. I mean, the, whew, I, I, I figured she'd be favored. I didn't think it would be going to be this big of a favorite. I might take a look at the Aldridge by decision. Probably, what is it, plus 700? That's how Aldridge wins that fight. So she wins most of her fights. Blanchfield by sub is plus 500. That might be another uh, avenue to look at. I might be recommending that one. Because I know Blanchfield's background is... Typically BJJ. He's 8-1. Her lone loss was to Tracy Cortez. Split decision in Invicta several years ago. But Since then, she has one win by submission and one win by KO, both of which were in Invicta. Oh, sorry. One was CFFC. One was Invicta. But so far in the UFC, she has won two straight decisions, one over Sarah Alpar and one over Miranda Maverick, which is a really impressive uh, decision. So... We will see how that goes. Blanchfield, by decision, is minus 175. Yeesh, I would rather just look for her to win inside the distance. I mean, if they think that, that there's that big of a gap for her to win, I might want to just look at that angle, just see, see if you can find either a round prop or a you know submission or KO or something along those lines. Look for an angle if there's one that you like for that particular fight. And that's this weekend's card. There it is, top to bottom. Strange to see Blanchfield and Aldrich opening up the card, but you know this is something I'd like to talk about because it comes up all the time. People say, oh, it's disrespectful. It's disrespectful that Blanchfield's opening the card. She's, she's looked great. She just had a big win over Miranda Maverick. Last time around, Maximov, Nick Maximov shouldn't be. He was in the co-made event the last time. Why is he opening the card now against Andre Petrosky? Listen, the UFC have analytics and stats that will 
inform their decisions of how they want to lay out a card. So if you see someone that a fighter that you want to see because they're a contender now, or they're somebody that's on the, a great prospect like an Aaron Blanchfield, and they're the first fight on the card, or you see Jeff Molina as the third fight on the card, you know he's a, a great up and coming fighter. It's not disrespectful to them. It's not. They want people to tune in early, and in the middle, and at the end. They want people to spend their entire evening with the UFC. That's why they have these fights scattered. That's why they have really good fights early on. That's why they have you know one really good fight in the middle. Just looking at it, like you've got Herrig and Kovalkiewicz is the main event of the prelims. You got Blanchfield and uh, Aldridge opening up the card. So, like, do you think that on the main card, like, the the UFC really believes that Karine Silva and Pollyanna Botelho are, like, better names than Herrig and Kovalkiewicz? No, it's like, they they want people to watch, and hey, if they're going to skip a fight, you skip a fight. You come back for the main event. They They want people to be watching for the duration of the card, at least in pieces or in parts. I mean, it doesn't apply to me. I watch the whole thing. That's my job. But if you're somebody watching at home, they want you to take a look at this lineup of top to bottom and say, oh, i got to be here for the first fight. I, I need to see what Erin Blanchfield does. She's She's been great so far. She the real deal at flyweight. Could she be the champion one day? We need to see what she's going to do against J.J. Aldrich. I'm going to tune in right at the beginning. I need to find out. Jeff Molina, one of the more exciting fly- flyweights in the entire UFC. It's the third fight. I got to I got to see that. That's a good fight against Jagos Jumagulov. I also forgot to talk about Joe Selecki and uh, Alex De Silva, but I don't really have much of an opinion on that one. Selecki a minus 184 favorite. Probably about where it should be. But see how I forgot to talk about it? Maybe because to me, maybe that that maybe that should be the first fight of the night. If I was so let, let's let's do a little thought experiment here. If I was going to be laying this card out in order of priority, if you're going to do fight with perhaps the least appeal to the fight with the most appeal, of course I'm leading with I mean really Volkov versus Rosenberg or Ige versus Evloev could be the main event, but let's let's stick with with the main and co-main. We'll keep them as they are. Volkov Rosenberg Ige versus Evloev. Below that fight, I'd probably have Herrig versus Kovalkiewicz because Kovalkiewicz fought for a title once, you know? Like, she's she's somebody who still has a name. Then I'd probably go Molina and Jumagulov after that. Molina's been coming up. He's looked great. Then after that, I'd probably put Blanchfield and Aldrich. And I'd open up the main card with... Yeah, maybe I would keep Menafield and Mosharov there. Yeah, debuting fighter, bigger weight class, could be fun. But really, you, you pick your poison after that. But the, again, there's a reason why these fights are, are laid out the way they are. They want people to watch from top to bottom. So when I see people say, oh, disrespectful, disrespectful to this guy. Show some respect to Jeff Molina. If you want to show some respect to Jeff Molina, watch this fight. Watch this fight, and then the UFC will see the metrics, and they'll say, hey, this guy, this guy sells. Not that necessarily, then maybe they'll make him the first fight next time because they want people to watch. But either way, the UFC doesn't operate in a boxing capacity where it's like we need to do our best to highest level to lowest level. The UFC has made people invested in, in so many different fighters in this promotion. And that's what they've done such a good job of. 
So to try to implement this boxing, like taking stuff from boxing and applying it to UFC, you just it's not the way it works. We have the opponent for Patty the Batty in London. Jordan Levitt gets the call. And uh, I love this fight. I think this is a great matchup because I think Pimblet is probably the, the better striker at this point in time, but I, I don't think, know if Levitt would disagree with that. But if you're talking grappling, like Levitt is one of the most dynamic and creative grapplers I think the UFC has in that weight class at 155 pounds. I mean, he's not Charles Oliveira, but I mean, in terms of at the unranked fighters, this guy's got really slick submissions. And he's also weird and awkward, and so is Patty. So I like this matchup. I think we're going to see something interesting come of it either way. But I do like how they're slowly moving Patty along. The big question is how 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 far is he going to get if you're going to push him this way? If you're going to keep having him face guys that are unranked, guys that are listen, this is a matchup that I'm sure the UFC think that he's going to he's going to win against Jordan Levitt. And Jordan Levitt said that in an interview. He goes, "I'm a little bit. Should I be offended here? That this is the guy that I'm I'm the guy that's facing Patty next. He knows that the promotion wants Patty to do well in London, and they picked him." Now, of course, it's his job to prove them wrong, but I mean, hey, he's not wrong. He is not wrong. That's the uh, next opponent for Patty the Batty. I think it's. Uh, I think that's a great matchup. I really. I was really excited when I saw that one. I don't know what ended up happening to uh, Otman Azaitar. I saw his name being tossed around with Patty for some time, but uh, not the case there. Whitaker and Marvin Vittori rebooked for Paris. It's a little news there. Jorge Masvidal and Connor are going back uh, back and forth on social media. I like that matchup. If I was going to match McGregor up, Masvidal's definitely on the short list there. So we'll see what ends up happening. I saw that uh, Jelton Almeida is looking to stay at heavyweight. Uh, that, that's interesting. I want to see who they match him up against next. But he's going to be a tough matchup for people at heavyweight. Because if he takes people down, I mean... It doesn't, doesn't seem to want to let them get back up. And is usually able to finish them pretty early. I might just keep taking him to win in the first round. Uh, just going forward against heavyweights. Because he's just... Uh, I think that his skill set is going to be very difficult for even the biggest heavyweights to, uh, to oppose. So that should do it for today. We'll see how fight night goes. I haven't uh, put in my TSN edge picks just yet. If I was, I would do start uh, fight starts round four in the main event between Rosenstroik and Volkov. Right now, it's sitting at minus 112. I would uh, take Dan Ige at plus 310. I would take uh, Damon Jackson by submission at plus 100. I'll probably take a look at uh, Molina wins in round three. What are the odds on that? Molina wins in round three is a plus 1400 so i might take a look at that and i might take a look at the blanchfield by sub prop at plus 500 and i might look at the ega knockout at plus 950 as well a lot that i like on this card actually there's a lot to like what's the evloev decision because i imagine i don't think he's gonna finish dan ega that's minus 150 it's probably what it should be and it shouldn't be uh I'm guessing if it was somewhere in the like even money range at some point, it's been bet up. But there we go. Interesting card. And then, uh, of course, next week, we've got uh, Glover Teixeira taking on Yuri Prokhashka in the main event. 
in Singapore and uh, Valentin Shevchenko against Tyler Santos. And of course, the rematch between Zhang Veili and uh, Joanna Janjacek. That is a uh, very strong top three fights on that pay-per-view. Rest of the card, eh, not great. It's got, it's got some things going for it. It's definitely exciting fights. But in terms of name value, you don't have a ton there. Either way, very excited for that card. I also had the opportunity to speak with Glover Teixeira and with Valentina Shevchenko. You can hear that on the interview edition of the TSN MMA show later this week. I'm also going to be speaking with uh, Joanna Jacek and Yuri Prokhazhka as well. So you can uh, check that out. Actually, that'll probably be next week on the uh, interview edition. This week's interview edition will feature the likes of Dan Ige, as well as, who else am I talking to this week? Jeff Molina, Aaron Blanchfield, Damon Jackson. So you can uh, listen for those. Excited to uh, have you, I'm excited to do those interviews. I haven't done them yet, but I'm also excited for you to listen to them. So there you have it. This has been the TSN MMA Show. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.